0: Well, Father, we do praise you. You are incredible. And your plan is perfect. We are imperfect. And sometimes we get in the way and sometimes we step outside of your plan. But we recognize you are a good God and your ways are true. And we want to get in on them. So we ask that you teach us, especially about some of this practical stuff today. But I also pray for Saturate USA, as we do this in a couple weeks, that you would go ahead of us, prepare the hearts of the people in this community, that you would prepare them in such a way that when they receive this packet, it would draw them to Jesus. They would see how wonderful you are and begin to follow you. Help them, Lord. So use us for your glory. And teach us now. From your word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, look at Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to look at verses 1 through 6, page 685 in the Bibles that we give away. So if you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. Someone will bring you one. It's our gift to you. And we're going through the book of Hebrews verse by verse, and we're at the last chapter. So we're at the very end here in uh, looking at what I'm calling the marks of a Christian life. I woke up this morning at four thirty in the morning. I just woke up with this song on my heart, "Greater Grace." I don't know if you've heard it or not, but it's just a wonderful song. and And I'm just laying there in bed, and and this was long before I had to get up. Okay, so I just just woke up. God, it felt like woke me up, and I could just hear the music and the. Band instruments and everything it was all around me. It was like, it could have been angels playing. I'm not sure. Or it could have been just that I was kind of half dreaming too. Okay, right? Okay, but I, I mean, seriously, I don't know. But I do know that I felt so refreshed. I felt so good. And, and, uh, and I really felt like that's normal Christianity, when God wakes his kids up and puts a song on their heart and fills them with the Spirit of God. Now, it, might, it doesn't happen all the time, right? But those kinds of things happen to his kids. And I say that's normal Christianity. That's not necessarily average Christianity, right? Average Christianity, sadly, is so often way below normal Christianity. Christianity, what God wants for all of his kids. And, uh, and so, and obviously these kinds of things come in ebbs and flows, but, but what we're going to see here in our passage is very practical, normal Christianity, all right? In fact, I want to ask you a question. If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to bring a conviction? Okay. now that that 's a tough tough question there, right okay so in these final exhortations in chapter thirteen, the writer is assuming that you 've read the first twelve chapters okay that we 've seen. And he's presented Jesus in all his glory and wonder and greatness, but also interspersed with that, those warning passages, if you walk away and abandon him. And and so don't walk away because Jesus is so wonderful. So all the way through that, and if you remember last week's, and remember, there's no chapter divisions in the original writings, right? Imagine someone writing a letter and putting chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. I mean, they just didn't do that. We don't do that today either, right? Well, so you're supposed to read it like right through. So chapter 12, verse 29, our God is a consuming fire. And then it goes into this exhortation and then concludes, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. We see this wonder of our amazing God, that he's holy and awesome and boy where you know there's some trembling going on but he's also loving and caring and we can approach him <laughs> and and then interspersed in that we have these simple guidelines he calls us to okay um, he, practical christianity here we see what a christian is supposed to look like okay uh, but also, I think he's saying what a church is supposed to look like. Remember, we've talked about this, how in the biblical times, they didn't hold that individualism that we all hold to. They saw each other as a people. And so, this is what we're supposed to look like, too, as believers, at corporate identity. Let's look at a passage. Chapter 13, verses 1 through 6. Let brotherly love continue. Don't neglect to show hospitality, for by doing this, some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. Remember those in prison as though you were in prison with them, and the mistreated as though you yourselves were suffering bodily. Marriage is to be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept undefiled because God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have, For he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. Therefore, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I'll not be afraid. What can man do to me? So let's look at these five marks of the Christian life. And by the way, this isn't meant to beat you up. It's meant to wake you up. Okay, Um, to the possibilities of when Jesus is at the center of your life. You see, God has this grand plan, right? A, A grand design. We even sang about it in one of the songs. He has this plan, and when we get in on the design, the plan, things go great. When we step out of the design and the plan... We end up hurting ourselves. And not because God's a mean God and he wants to just zap people or nothing like that, but because this is the way God made the world and for us to flourish. But when we step out of the plan, we end up hurting ourselves. It's kind of like gravity. You know, that's, you know, it's the law, not just a good idea. (laughs) Gravity. Gravity. I mean, okay, that's a part of the design of the universe. Step out of. Ten story window. What happens? Okay, right? You you all that mean God put gravity here. You know, no, we, we need gravity. It really works. Okay, so so here's his design. So let's look at the individual pieces. And the first one is my favorite: brotherly love. Okay, he says, let brotherly love continue. Now, but what is this? You see, true Christians are a part of a family. God is our father. We're adopted into the family. God is our father, and therefore, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're a family. Now, hopefully, we're a family that's a functional, not a dysfunctional family, right? <laughs> Get it, okay? You know, there's no such thing as a completely non-dysfunctional family, right? But that's that's God has placed us into this family family. And as a family, we take care of each other. We like to be with each other, and we're united as a family. Uh, First of all, we take care of each other. Um, Brotherly love. We look out for each other. That's why we have a benevolence fund. It's why we have the harvest house to that has food and clothing. And it's primarily for our family. When people are in need, we want to take care of each other. If you find yourself in a time of need, don't feel bad about it. We're here to help each other, okay? And so that's good that we're taking care of each other. Um, We all find ourselves in those kinds of situations at times. But also, as a family, we don't want to just... Provide we also, you know, physically, we want to help each other mature. So we also have like classes, like we have this uh, financial seminar coming up so that, you know, if you've gotten yourself in a financial bind, well, okay, we want to help, but we also want to help you get not have that happen again, right? Some education, some things like that. So we have this, but we really want to take care of each other. Um, and as a family... We like to be with each other, right? That's a, We enjoy being with each other. By the way, this is God's design for the church. I want you to look at Acts chapter 2. And this is what we see. The initial design of the church is he, he wants his people to be gathering together regularly, hanging out together, okay? Because we brothers and sisters in Christ, so we want to be with each other. Okay, look at what it says in Acts chapter two, verse forty six. He says, Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. Now notice here you have this two kind of twofold kind of a deal. They met together in the temple, that's the large group setting. Okay, and we know from a further study of the Bible that that t- took place primarily on Sundays. Okay, so they met together in a large group setting on Sundays, but also throughout the week from house to house. Now, by the way, there's a, some people will try to tell you that the house church model is the biblical design. It's simply not true. Okay, the house church model is only one part of the design. We see here they met in the large group. In the temple, because they couldn't, a large group couldn't meet in a small house. So they met in a large group setting and they met from house to house. You see this throughout the rest of the book. Look at uh, chapter 5, verse 12. He says, Many signs and wonders were being done among the people through the hands of the apostles. They were all together in Solomon's colonnade. Now, that's a particular area of the temple, a big, large area, so that a large group could just kind of hang out and do their services, okay? So they met, once again, the large group setting, but also, skip to uh, verse 42 of chapter 5. And it says every day in the temple and in various homes, they continued teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, that doesn't mean that they met every day together, Monday through Sunday. Right. It's it's what it's saying is is that they had that large group setting on Sunday morning, but they also met throughout the week from house to house, different times for different groups, okay, small groups, what we call our life groups, okay. Our life groups, in fact, we have a life group, I think, every day of the week except Saturday, I think. Right? So life group, but also that that. Now look at chapter twenty, verse twenty, we see the same thing. What I call twenty twenty vision. I didn't actually make that up. Somebody else did. But he says, you know that I did not avoid proclaiming to you anything that was profitable or from teaching you publicly and from house to house. See that? Publicly, that's the large group setting, but also from house to house, the small group setting. So that's how our church is centered, is is structured. We have the Sunday morning service, larger group, and to worship God, hear his word preach, but we also have the life groups, the small groups, so that we can all grow and disciple each other properly. And it's, and it's where we can hang out a lot. I love the life groups. I actually go to two of them because <laughs> I can't get enough, okay? But, uh, that's, uh, but this is a part of brotherly love. We like to be with each other. And by the way, the book of Hebrews also spoke of this. Look at Hebrews ten verses 24 and 25. If you remember this from a while back, he starts out verse 24, and let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works. Doesn't that sound like let brotherly love continue? Okay, so let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, but then he says how in verse 25, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. So not neglecting the gathering together, as some are in the habit of doing. It's kind of easy to get in the habit of not gathering regularly, isn't it? Okay, We've got to develop those habits. And all of this is not to put this legalistic, you got to do this, otherwise you're sinning kind of a thing. That's not it always say We want to. Because we're a family, and we know this is God's design on how we can flourish and grow the best. That's what he's saying, okay? So we see this, and this is one major aspect of letting brotherly love continue. And we're united as a family. God calls us to work things out together. We're supposed to be united. First Corinthians 1 verse 10 talks about this, and by the way, these verses on unity, many people think they refer to the universal church, so we're all supposed to agree and get along with each other, and obviously we should try that, shouldn't we? (laughs) Okay, but that's not at all what these verses are talking about. Their focus is not the universal church. It very specifically says it's the local church, the church at Corinth, the church at Ephesus, that church. They're supposed to get along. In other words, us here, we're supposed to get along. Stop bickering. Work things out, okay? Now, there are some instances when you do need to divide. If the leadership is dysfunctional, or if there's heresy, yeah, okay, then, then there's reasons for dividing, but we're supposed to get along. So if I say something that offends you, and by the way, I know that's gonna happen, because I open my mouth up way too quickly sometimes, right? Okay, so just forgive me ahead of time, please, right? But, but each other, too. All right, so he's calling us to this unity uh, as a family. So brotherly love, let brotherly love continue. Then he says, the second uh, mark of a Christian and of a church is hospitality. He says, don't neglect to show hospitality, for by doing this, some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. Now that sounds pretty cool, doesn't it? You might even actually entertain a get uh, an angel, you know, and uh you know without even knowing it. So we see here this call to hospitality and Abraham, he set the standard. In fact, uh, one instance he actually met some angels. He thought were three men and he welcomed them, he fed them and all that. So he so this is probably what this passage is hearkening back to. So we want to look at Abraham and how he was so welcoming, so hospitable towards people, and, and that needs to resonate. That needs to be who we are. That means hospitality in the church, okay? And I think we do a pretty good job of this. I've heard a lot of people say that, that they felt really welcome. They felt like a part of the family as soon as they got here, and that's great. I'm sure sometimes that doesn't happen. You know, people slip through the cracks or so forth. So we got to get better too, then, right? I mean, I think our greeters are good. The coffee people, those are they're awesome, right? Because they give us coffee. But, 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 but all of us, everyone here. You know why we have that little time in the middle of the service for like five minutes where. We get up and we talk and stuff with each other. It's because fellowship and hospitality is important to us, and uh, and so we want to be show hospitality. And I, I like that about our church too, because we have a wide variety of people in our church, various backgrounds, etc. But everybody treats everybody the same. They they care for each other. You know, and there's yeah, I love it. Okay, so keep it up. Good. Hospitality in the church, but also hospitality in the world. Um, Reaching out to your neighbors. Now I know some of you are saying, yeah, but you don't know my neighbors. My neighbors are bad, okay? yeah. Well, maybe they don't live up to your standards, but what do you expect from unbelievers? So reach out anyway. Show some hospitality. Show some kindness. And uh, you might be surprised. Uh, um, show, be willing to even be inconvenienced by a stranger, right? Because it might even be an angel. By the way, we're actually encouraging. I think it's in the bulletin. Um, Saint Cloud State is offering. You know, some of the some of the uh, international kids need a place to go for Easter. So sign up. They're strangers. Might end up getting an angel. <laughs> or a devil. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> but, but, you know, reach out. What a great opportunity, isn't it? I mean, if they're willing to come over to your house, put out your best and show some hospitality. All right. So, number three, s- sympathy for those in trouble. Look at verse 3. Remember those in prison as though you were in prison with them, and the mistreated as though you yourselves were suffering bodily. Now, he's saying we're supposed to have sympathy for people who are mistreated, people who are suffering. And uh, uh, William Barclay, in his commentary, he talks about this. He says, there is a sympathy for those in trouble. It's here we see the early Christian church at its loveliest. It often happened that the Christian landed in prison and worse. It might be for his faith. It might be for debt, for the Christians were poor. It might be that they were captured by pirates or brigands. It was then that the church went into action. Uh, Tertullian says uh, that if they're happen to be any in the mines or banished to the islands or shut up in prisons for nothing but their fidelity to the cause of God's church, they become the nurslings of their confession. Aristides, the heathen orator, so this is a guy who was not a Christian. This is what he said about Christians. He said, if they hear that any of their, one of their number is imprisoned or in distress for the sake of their Christ's name, they all render aid in his necessity. And if he can be redeemed, they set him free. He goes on to say how some of them would even sell themselves or or give bribes in order to get into the jails to help people. I said they would get, There was actually the last emperor before Constantine, okay? So the last emperor that were, when Christianity was still illegal. He passed a law saying it was illegal to go into jails to help people because he saw Christians doing that all the time. And it was defeating the purpose. They were trying to beat these people down, and these Christians were coming and feeding them and helping them and stuff. That's what we're supposed to do, right? This is taking care of people who are in need sympathy so jail ministry we see there but also social justice all right now i know that that's a buzzword with opposing views okay christians can disagree on what might be the best way to help those in need but we need to have a caring heart for all who are mistreated um I personally think the welfare state has miserably failed, and that is not how we can help the poor. But we need to have a heart for people who are hurting, who are poor, who are things have happened to them, people, uh, the, the whole uh, human trafficking, all these other issues. We need to have a heart for those who are in distress. Um. Before you start to press send on your next tweet or Facebook post, ask yourself, Where is my heart? If I'm not sending this out of pure love and concern and care, and you could be, right? So I'm not saying don't, I'm just saying look at your heart first. That's what matters. Are you doing it because you're angry or are you doing it because you really care and you want people to be helped? All right, so we see sympathy. Remember those in prison as though you were in prison with them and the mistreated and as though you yourselves were suffering bodily. Next one, purity. Verse 4. He says, marriage is to be honored by all and the marriage bed kept undefiled because God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. Here, we see that God has a plan and when we go outside of God's plan, we end up hurting ourselves and everyone else. Sexual impurity hurts all involved. Now, this is hard in our society, um, but we can't use that as an excuse. It was hard for them in the first century. Very hard, just as hard. First century, they were just as depraved as the 21st century, okay? So this is God's call for us that we see, this call to purity. I don't want to say this. Marriage is God's idea. When he starts out and says marriage is to be honored by all, marriage is God's idea. And I want to say it's a great idea. Okay? Look at Genesis chapter 1. I want to look at just the very beginning. This is God's design even before the fall. So before sin came in and wrecked stuff, this is what he has to say. First of all, in chapter 1, verse 27. He says, so God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. So we see at the very beginning, God created us male and female. Gender is God's idea. It's not a social construct. That's what people are bantering around now. Because since the fall... We're all broken in different ways, aren't we? And some people are broken in this way of gender. They're not; they're confused about their gender. Now, we bring this up not to beat people up. Once again, we care about people. If someone's going through that and that struggle, we want to be loving and kind towards them who are struggling in that area. But it's not the loving thing to advocate it. I mean, it's like if somebody was cutting themselves. We want to show care and concern, right? But we would never say, it's okay to cut yourself. That's who you are. No. This is hurting people when they're struggling with this, uh, whether they're a man or a woman, etc. God created this original design, and I believe that he can help those who are struggling through that. Uh, so we want to be a help, too. But we see the design. See that? Um, chapter 2, we see the design for marriage. In chapter 2, verse 18, he says, "'Then the Lord God said, "'It is not good for the man to be alone.'" I will make a helper corresponding to him. Now, this passage is interesting because it's the first time it says it is not good. If you remember in the creation, he's constantly, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. And then he says, it is not good for the man to be alone. <laughs> okay, And so then he says, I will make a helper corresponding to him. Now, there's two different Hebrew words here that are fascinating. The first one's helper, ezer, is the Hebrew word. Now, we're going to need to make sure we understand Helper does not have any connotations of inferiority, okay? He's not saying the woman is a helper, so inferior. Not at all, okay? Because God himself is called our ezer, our helper, okay? So that has no connotations of inferiority. Men and women are absolutely equal. Now, there are different roles, but they are equal in God's sight. So helper is... uh, the first part here, because the guy needed help, and then second, corresponding to him. Now, that's fascinating, too, because that Hebrew word is neged, okay? Neged, almost always, and it's in the Old Testament hundreds of times, it's almost always translated opposite. So it literally says a helper opposite to him. Now, opposite in the sense of opposite, but corresponding and therefore uh, completing him. So the two are opposites that make one really good whole. <laughs> okay. That's what he's saying here, a helper corresponding. By the way, opposite to him, this is why also homosexuality doesn't fit God's design because it goes against the design. They're not opposites. They don't correspond like that. This is God's design, and so the rest of the Bible, he also condemns homosexuality. Once again, because it hurts people involved in those kinds of lifestyles. And so he's calling us, here's my plan. It's a flourishing, wonderful plan, okay? In fact, um, I love this word uh, corresponding because it reminds me of the movie Jerry Maguire, okay? Did you ever see that movie? Okay, it's a secular movie, so you know you're always gonna have this and that in it, but it, but it does have, okay, it's, it's, it has something for guys and for girls, okay? Okay, it's a football movie, so guys like it. But it's also a love story. So girls like it. Okay. So it's, it's got both. And it's, it's, Jerry Maguire, he is an agent for a, uh, uh, for one particular guy who's a receiver for the Arizona Cardinals and he's trying to get a good, a new deal for him and stuff. And, and it goes back and forth and it's not working. And, and then, uh, then him, he and his wife, they split up and, and then, then, then he has this, his big day and they get the contract and he's, and he's like, The biggest day of his life, but he realized it's nothing. He can't share it with his wife. So he goes over and he finds her. He walks into her house. She has a bunch of ladies there in the room and, and he just starts, he says, hello. And he just starts talking and talking and talking. And then she says, stop it. You had me at hello. Okay. That's a, that's a great line, but that's not the line I'm talking about. Okay. Okay. After that, then, 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 then he says, he says to her, I had my biggest day, my biggest day, best day of my entire life, but it was nothing because I didn't have you to share it with. And then he says, You complete me. That's awesome. That's this. Okay. I got to experience this. Okay. Um this uh just this last week Elizabeth was in Guatemala and she loved me does it every year <laughs> 10 days okay well anyway so so uh she's gone and i had the wonderful opportunity of leading someone to christ and went you know me there is nothing better than that i was on a cloud but i was like i can't share it with elizabeth Because we couldn't talk, we we turn off our phones until she gets back and stuff, you know. So so then, but then she finally came home, and I was able to share it with her. So she complete. Okay, well, okay, so that's that's what we're seeing here. In fact, it goes on in verse 24. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife. Uh, that's davak, it's to cleave or unite in a covenant relationship, and they uh, become one flesh. So we see this covenant relationship of marriage. This is God's idea. He Marriage is God's idea. I do also want to say that Singleness is also God's idea, okay? That we see this in Scripture as well. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 7 speaks of the gift of singleness. And then verses 24 through 35, Paul says, you know, I wish you were like me because uh, you're going to have lots of troubles as in, in marriage and you're not going to be able to spend as much time in ministry and this and that. And so there's, there is a great place for singleness as well. Uh, And so we find out, but it all is fit into this verse here, verse 4. Marriage is to be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept undefiled because God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterers. Sex is a powerful thing for either good or for evil, depending on whether it's in God's design or outside of his design. Albert Moeller, in his commentary says, the Bible teaches that sexual morality in all of its aspects and manifestations comes down to one central thing. Sex belongs in marriage and nowhere else. This is a radical statement to make in today's world, but it's deeply biblical. Scripture recognizes sex within marriage as something good and worthy of celebration. If we had a checklist on sexual morality, sex within marriage would be on the yes list. But everything else would be on the no list, because every form of sex outside of marriage subverts and dishonors marriage. Any form of sex outside the marriage covenant, including adultery, is an affront to God's gift of marriage and is therefore deserving of God's judgment. And we see we see sex is powerful for good or for evil. It should be practiced a lot in marriage, according to first Corinthians seven, three through five and never outside of marriage. And so we see this call of purity. And then, finally, contentment, verses 5 and 6. He says, keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. Therefore, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me. And here we see this call to contentment. Uh, Paul wrote in Philippians 4, verses 10 through 13. You're familiar with verse 13, I'm sure. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? That's a great verse, but you want to know the context. The context is, I know what it's like to be in want, and I know what it's like to have. I know what it's like to be rich, and I know what it's like to be poor, and I am content, and no matter what my situation, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Okay? So that's the, the context is contentment. And according to our verse, we need to be very careful of this. Money, it cannot be a God. Keep your life free from the love of money. Now, there's nothing wrong with having money but it's the love for money that he talks about. First Corinthians, I mean, 1 Timothy, get rich. It says those who desire to get rich fall into all kinds of troubles and temptations, okay? So we want to make sure we don't love money and we don't seek to be rich, but that doesn't mean, once again, that God couldn't bless us you know, with money, that's okay. In fact, First uh, Timothy six seventeen goes on to say, and for God has provided all things for our enjoyment. So it's okay to enjoy life. It's okay if God blesses you in that way, but make sure money is not a God to you because he says Jesus is enough. Be satisfied with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. Therefore, we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Jesus is enough. He promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In Matthew 28, just before he ascended up to heaven, he said, Lo, I will be with you always, even unto the end of the age. If we have Jesus, we have everything we need. Jesus is enough. Psalm 73 talks about, uh, he's actually perplexed by why things seem like they're not the way they're supposed to be. And then he says, until he entered the sanctuary, when he entered into God's presence, then it, it all made more sense to him. And he was able to say in verses 25 and 26, Whom have I but you? You truly satisfy me. You're all I need. Jesus is enough. Uh, let me finish here with uh, Moeller again. He says in verse six, the writer evaluates God's statement and applies it in a pointed way. Therefore, we may boldly say, "The Lord is my helper; I will not be afraid. What can man do to me?" This is an important Christian confession and reflects the same confidence in God's abiding character that the Apostle Paul displayed in Romans eight thirty-one thirty-nine. It's good to ask ourselves these questions and to remember that nothing overly tragic can happen to us. We can lose everything we have, and it will be okay so long as we endure in the faith. I admit this is easy to say and a much harder thing to actually live out, but everything that can be taken away from us will be taken away from us one day, right? Nevertheless, we have everything we need in Christ and we can be content because we serve a God who cares for us. The Lord is on our side. Are you a Christian? None of us are naturally born Christians. We are adopted into the family of God when we repent of our sins, place our faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone for our salvation, and we outwardly Confess that faith in baptism. But do you look like a Christian if you're a Christian? Do you bear these marks? Let's pray.